Hello and welcome to a spooky episode of I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast. Actually, it's not that spooky. But, uh, well, but the witch theme, I think. It's yeah, that's what, that's where I was going with could it. Could be yes. less appropriate. So, okay. so this podcast that you're listening to with your ear holes uh, features the open-minded musings of two mid-40s curmudgeons, each who stare down the prospect of entertainment irrelevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry of American Caesar Enterprises, which is a seersucker suit-wearing Southern lawyer who fans himself while he sits on your porch asking for another glass of sweet tea. And I'm joined, as always, by this guy. I'm Noah Tarno, the founder, senior quizmaster, producer, et al. of The Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show spectacular. I love the image, Noah, of the the uh, Southern lawyer, the, the the William Jennings Bryan guy. Always, yeah, he's always asking much. for another helping of potato salad in like yeah. August in Georgia uh, or something. It's hot. It's hot. Well, you know William, Je- you know William Jennings Bryan. I mean, interesting story that guy. But he was the um, he was the prosecuting attorney in uh, the the Scopes Monkey trial. You know, yes. he was yeah. anti teaching evolution. You know, he died during that case. Oh, did he? He died of evolution? That would be ironic. Yes, he died. He turned into, <laughs> don't you think? No, like it was, you know, it was in Tennessee and it was hot. And either during or probably right after, like while he was in Tennessee there, it was so hot and whatever. He was old and probably been eating like steaks all his life. He had a heart attack and died. I think the other guy, Clarence Darrow, he is more of a uh, Southern lawyer kind of thing. Brian was from Nebraska. Um, Brian is, I'm a presidential history nerd and Brian... Three-time losing Democratic Party nominee for president. Um, I'm, I'm, if you watch an adaptation of Inherit the Wind, they do play, yes. they play off. Um, I forget what the character's name is, the William Jennings. Yeah, they call them other stuff. Yeah, him and Darrow, they give them fake names. But yeah. They're based on those guys. But he yeah. was he was the Southern lawyer. He was the sweating, mustache, yeah. you know, gigantic barrel-waisted, you know, uh, the braces under the seersucker suit, constantly fanning himself. Yeah, that's, that's what I... My favorite conception is a fried chicken leg eating southern lawyer who does have a heart attack at the end of the case that's your that's your favorite cultural american archetype yes a southern lawyer if is i the, could is the right whenever, whenever matlocky kind of matlock-esque right yeah there's the folksiness thing to it as well uh but there's just that idea that well does czechoslovakia have the old southern lawyer no you know, does does you know Svalbard have the Southern lawyer? No, only like Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina has that particular old boy form of Southern lawyer. That's why it's as endemic, you no, know, as jazz or or rap music or something like that. Where was Matlock from? The character. Oh, I ben don't know. Matlock. I didn't watch a single second. I'm looking this up now. Benjamin Layton Matlock, played by Andy Griffith, uh, reported to be based on Georgia defense attorney Bobby Lee Cook. So uh, this early life, ooh, he just attended Harvard Law School. So much for being an old time country lawyer. Well, he was from North um, Carolina. Uh, um, uh, Andy, Andy Andy Griffith, Griffith himself was from North Carolina. Yeah, the show. Yeah. Was, yeah, I know the Andy Griffith show was set in North Carolina. Well, that's because it was based. Yeah, I mean, it was local. It was to, based on Andy's real life. Well, or at least he, what he understood. I mean, he was a Hollywood guy. He lived out in Los Angeles since forever, but. Um, Man, if people, right. if you guys haven't seen Face in the Crowd, guys, if you, uh, I don't know, you've never seen it, right, Noah? No, I don't think so. Because uh, it's an Elia Kazan movie. Uh, it's really good. I mean, it, it. I had this impression of Andy Griffith growing up that he was just this, you know, doughy, anodyne, safe TV guy from Opie and, you know, the whistle and the, you know, the fish. From Opie. Okay. From Opie and Opie and Anthony. 
but he was like he was a, an incredible actor. <laughs> he was he was a, an intelligence. He understood he understood performing arts. He understood how to work I'm for sure. the camera. Well, I mean, I'm this sure. stuff this stuff becomes you know when a guy just does something like Matlock for a hundred years, you kind of forget that the guy had these chops. But A Face in the Crowd is an incredible movie, and Andy Griffith was like a fucking surgeon doing it. It's really worth movie watching. Uh, movie for worth watching. He learned everything from Don Knotts, who, of course, was... Yeah, was acting a, teacher. He was he was he worked with Strasburg. Yeah, he was yeah. Stanislavski from Don way Knotts. back. Don Knotts. Do you, re- yeah. do you remember that season of... I mean, it was all in reruns when we were kids, but the Scooby-Doo season where every episode they teamed up with a, a guest star. I believe And sometimes so. it was fictional characters, you know, Batman and Robin, the Addams Family. Um, but, like... Like they teamed up with Don Knotts, like who's like you know who kids love Don Knotts. I, well, Let's have they did. I guess. Team up with Don Knotts. I mean, the thing is, I remember being six years old and knowing exactly who Don Knotts was, and I don't think I'd ever seen Andy Griffith's show. I mean, maybe I'd seen him on Three's Company, but you know, it's not like I knew what was going on on Three's Company. Uh, How did we know who these people were? That's a good question. Here's my question: Who came first? By the way, was it Mr. Roper or Mr. Furley? Who was the first character? I think the Ropers are first. The Ropers because and- they got it. They got it. Remember, they got their own spinoff. That's true. That's true. So I imagine when they got a spinoff, they're like, "Okay, we need to replace them. Let's not get a wa- another wacky old couple where the the wife is a horny old lady and the husband is a is a put upon you know grump. Let's get you know let's let's take that guy from Andy Griffith's show, put him in seventies neckerchiefs, yes, and have him be a peeping tom." By the way, I appreciate because a lot of people just go they go knee jerk and they call it an ascot, which it wasn't. It was a neckerchief. No, not an ascot. So people, people, an ascot is what you wear when you just came into muddy. Like the only people ever wore ascot, (laughs) or like if you're like a shipping heir, you know, you're either on a boat or you just came into muddy. That's when you wear an ascot. Yes, that is true. Or Mr. Hal, Mr. Hal wore ascots. Speaking of a wealthy couple moving to a new community, Noah, our topic is the WandaVision television program from yes. the Disney the Disney cable network that everybody loves so much. Disney Plus. It's not just Disney. It's not. It's it, is, it is not a cable network at all. It is a streaming service, as you all know. Streaming service. So I can't. No, this is. I think this is the first Disney Plus thing we've talked about. Yeah, actually, yeah, it is. Now that I think uh, about no, it. No, we talked. Well, oh, depends. Did, Bandi, Baby Yoda. Oh, Baby Yoda. Right, right. That was Grogu. That was, By the way, I started more talking about him as Grogu because I actually liked the name Grogu for him. And when yeah, everyone was fine. bitching him, oh, it's a terrible name. And I'm like, Grogu's a great name for him. Why not? Yeah, no, it's okay. It's not bad. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that far and few between on Disney Plus, like they've only put a few things out that, you know, really weren't talking about. But I mean, The Mandalorian was a game changer and there's two seasons that add into the belt now. And this this series, WandaVision, uh, I mean, this this was I, I want to say this is a world beater for nine weeks. So you probably know what we're talking about. Yeah. You maybe you maybe yeah, we're, we're a little late with this, but, but I mean, that we, was your call. It I is, suggested I, this weeks ago, but I know. But I, I said I wanted to do it down. at the end. Let's talk about yes, on the finale. Uh, yeah, uh, we, we didn't we didn't have any any shortage of rich topics on the way here. But um, yes, yeah, just to give you guys a, a little nut graph here. WandaVision is the uh, is an American television series created by. These two names who I'm really not familiar with, but again, there's a lot of people in TV I'm not familiar with, so don't go by that. There's a, a person named Jack Schaefer, J-A-C. Her name is Jacqueline Schaefer. Uh, and the, her per, per producing partner, this is a guy named uh, Matt Shackman, who himself is a television veteran. He was a child star who went back into school um, and learned he became like a, a creative director of a theater and is back in TV as a, as a creative then, which is a nice little arc for that guy, whoever he winds up being. So they were chosen by Kevin Feige and the rest of the Mandarins at Disney Plus 
to manage this most recent product of the Marvel, what is it, Marvel Cinematic Universe, the so-called MCU, which so far hasn't hasn't ever rolled any snake eyes. It's been a winner, 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 every way you can imagine this sort of thing. And it's based on these two characters, Scarlet Witch and the Vision, who haven't exactly got the main focus of the movies so far, even though they were prominently featured in uh, uh, Age of Ultron, Avengers Age of Ultron, which I think was 2014. So this is set in the said MCU, this this sprawling continuity now of, what was it, Noah, 22 films, 21 films? All a... a Something like that. Right, yeah. it, it's that thing that Stanley built into the comic books way back when, that everything was interrelated with everything else. So... In a way, it meant that you could be reading an issue of Avengers and all of a sudden Thor would fly by with his hammer and a little box would say, oh, if you want to know what Thor's up to, read Thor 128. Yeah. And it was cool because you got this feeling like, oh, it's a small world and everything's interrelated. On the other hand, it, right. it, like I think with these movies, it kind of means that, well, you sort of need to see everything to get if you want the full picture. Eh, I think the Marvel movies do a good job of avoiding that. But they do. Fine. You can say that. It pays it off. It pays it off in any way. Um, yeah. Right. So, so the MCU here... Uh, th- and this series shares the continuity of the film, so this is not a side project. This was essentially, you know, in some ways, Marvel had to put their feature film uh, oven cool it for a couple of years while they dealt out. They dealt with what the pandemic was going to be like, so they still have that Black Widow movie is in abeyance. They don't know what they're going to wind up doing with that, and they had to, you know, the next slate of post Thanos feature films right. are are. Sort of like they know what they're going to be, but they just can't shoot them safely. They they have a very crowded 2021 schedule because they bumped Black Widow, Eternals, yeah. yep, Black Panther uh, 2. Oh, Falcon Shang- and Falcon Shang- and Snowman, Falcon yeah. and Snowman. Yeah, Shang Chi yeah. is coming too. Another really, master. yeah, no, that's actually got that. its way. It's yeah. weird on top of it. Oh, and Thor. I think Taika Waititi shoot an next Thor movie down in um, Man, Sydney. We're, yeah. we're 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 scraping the Marvel character barrel here. And I mean it's. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really amazing. I know that we're going to get. A Moon we'll get into more of that later. Oscar yeah. Isaac. It's like crazy that this is happening. But the what series with Oscar Isaac? Moon Knight. Moon Knight's coming. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. They're doing Moon Knight with Oscar Isaac. Mister Oscar yes. Isaac himself is going to be Moon Knight. Okay, Moon yeah. Knight. Right. Major so, characters like Moon Knight. <laughs> hey, somehow they make it work. So um, uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany reprise their respective roles as Wanda Maximoff and The Vision. Um, and the construction of this film, which is what they advertised up front, is that it looked TV like show. it was a very free-flowing homage to the history of the American sitcom, starting with, I would say, the I Love Lucy conception all the way up to something closer to Arrested Development, Malcolm in the Middle types. St- or no, actually, it was Arrested Development Office was the last thing they stepped off at, like the early 2000s. The Not fun, well, the, the, um, I haven't watched the final episode. Are you giving anything away? No, no, no. Because that, the, la- the last episode that clearly aped a, uh, a style was very consciously Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, Malcolm in the Middle, right. I mean, the opening credits had the same font. Yes. You know, yeah, so. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, people, when they saw the trailer, they sort of wondered what was this going to be like. They assumed that there was going to be. It, it did not seem, all the imaging, the, the messaging up front seemed to be light on continuity and heavy on style, as if it was going to be an homage to all these things. But then people started trying to say, okay, her in, uh, you know, uh, Meredith Baxter, Bernie hair and clothes and her dressed like I Love Lucy and her dressed like um, Laura Petrie. Like that was actually going to people were starting to. 
try to come up with a narrative because they thought, oh, this is going to pay off. It's just a stylistically, it's not unlike anything you've seen before. And it's going to be wild if they can nail it, if they can stick the landing of all this visual iconography of the sitcom. How would it come together? How would it work? What does it all mean? Uh, people, tongues, as they say, tongues started wagging uh, pretty early. I mean, you know, in that respect, it's impressive. And Marvel, the, the golden touch kind of goes on. So let's see. What did they do? They shot it in Atlanta. Uh, they had to halt production, but then they closed it off in March of last year or no, uh, September of last year uh, in L.A. So, I mean, that this thing was kind of they were I'm sure they were doing the editing as they were going along, putting it on the air. So, I mean, you know, credit to Disney and, and, and you know, for shooting safely and managing to be very cautious about this sort of thing. Um, and for the for the record, this is set only three weeks after the Thanos movie, Endgame, um, and uh, Maximov and Vision are living an idyllic suburban life in a town, a fictitious town in Westview, New Jersey, trying to conceal their true natures. Um, as they begin to enter new decades and encounter television tropes, the couple suspects that things are not as they seem, and even that's kind of minimizing it a little bit. But uh, Noah, I'm curious, less a Marvel zombie and more of a DC guy, uh, but I know you've seen these movies, so that kind of is less a thing. What was your impression of uh, WandaVision? Yeah, I mean, look, th this is the thing I always say when I bring up that I traditionally more of a DC guy than a Marvel zombie is it, it, there's a little bit of heartbreak on my part that the Marvel projects are on average so much better than the DC projects. And DC's had good movies and good whatever, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I still am going to, I'm not boycotting anything, but it breaks my heart a little that the Avengers movies are 8 billion times better than the Justice League movie. But whatever, that's that's irrelevant. Uh, yeah, this show's pretty good. Uh, you know, verging on great. And man, is it interesting. Um, my big... And by the way, just to be clear, I have not yet seen the final episode. I made it up to the end of the penultimate episode, so don't give anything away. I shan't. Yes, please. No spoilers. Um, by the way, folks, those of you... We'll, we'll, we might be mildly spoilery here. I, I vetoed Bill's decision to play a song in the opening that would give away a major plot point. So you should be thank me for that. Um, here's my main thought when I see this, and I don't know how relevant this is. Sorry, I'm, if you hear noise, I'm on a beanbag. Um, uh, there's a book that came out like 15 years ago called, what was it called by Sean Howe? What was the book called? Uh, the History of Marvel Comics, I think. Something the simple. History of Marvel Comics. Not a very interesting title. And it's about the history of Marvel Comics. And one of the bits they talk about is that, and I didn't notice I read this, most of the 80s, Stan Lee was pretty hands-off with Marvel Comic Publishing because he was going back and forth between New York and Hollywood trying to sell Hollywood on Marvel movies. And he essentially got nowhere but of course, his work finally paid off in you know, 1998, whenever the first X-Men movie came out. No, no, 2000. 2001, something like that. But he was getting a lot of doors slammed in his face in the 80s. And one particularly jaw-dropping story is the closest he came to getting a Spider-Man movie made. Spider-Man. If you're going to make a Marvel movie, you, you, you think Spider-Man would be the easiest one to sell. Because everyone's heard of Spider-Man. Um. He, he had a studio interested, but they were insisting that they make it less of a superhero movie and more of like a monster movie that Peter Parker turns into a giant spider, right? And it really accords with what I think, and young people might be shocked by this, the mainstream view of superheroes at the time was like, this is a really minor aspect of pop culture. Most people are not going to believe superheroes. They're silly. They're ridiculous. What's with those costumes? And that you can't sell superheroes to the general public. It was but it was low-grade trash. It was it was disposable right. art form. Yeah. And, 
And if you do, it's got to be a slam dunk. You know, I mean, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, I guess Hulk, because the TV show had been a hit, right? Like, that was pretty much as far as Stan Lee could probably get with people, right? Um, well, not Superman and Batman, of course, but you get the idea. So, <coughs> the idea that people were so hostile to superhero stories that that, like, okay, you can make Spider-Man, but it's got to be a horror movie. We are could not be more... 180 degrees from that now the fact that wanda uh that wandavision scarlet witch and the vision who at best are b-level marvel characters cb somewhere in that range not only does this get made by what would count as a major studio now it is so not straightforward i mean this is a we build and make it clear this is a weird show and uh they released it weekly not in all one shot as a lot of shows are done now i mean some shows are done weekly so it's a bit of a puzzle box, right? Like, how, what's going on? What's the real story? Let me figure this out. The fact that something could be so obtuse and be released by a mainstream studio about characters who don't, quote-unquote, have a strong following is stunning how different attitudes have changed about superheroes and, in some ways, all entertainment since the 80s. So I am just shocked by that. Actually, absolutely shocked. How did this get made? Um, but I think it's, you know, it's good. It's weird. It took me, like everyone, a few episodes to figure out what's going on. And even eight episodes in, I'm still pretty confused. But I'm not that smart. So that's that's to be expected. <laughs> and you never um, read comics before. Well, I don't think reading comics is what you need to figure this stuff out. I think, no, but it, it helps. You, I think it helps your, you know, it helps you develop a sort of malleability and flexibility as, guess, a, as a reader, I, I believe. I, no, I don't have a supple enough. I don't understand comics anymore. Um I, I, the thing I think I like the best is the sort of contrast of styles. Like, it's kind of losing the thread later on, but the early episodes where it really does feel more episodic, and the first episode is 50s, you know, I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke. The second episode is very clearly Bewitched, so I'm in the 60s. Then we're in the Brady Bunch, 70s. Then we're in Family Ties, 80s. Then I guess we skipped the 90s. I would have loved to see a Friends version or Seinfeld. That would have been funny, but then we skipped to Malcolm in the Middle, and then beyond that, I don't know where we are. I guess, no, I guess beyond that, it's sort of a modern family-ish talking to the camera thing. Um, so I like that, the contrast between, and it is so well done in terms of aping those styles and really giving you the feel of those shows. But then these moments that peek in where it runs counter to that, the 80s-ish episode where uh, the Agatha, Agnes character says, uh, oh, I, I stepped on your line. She kind of breaks character for a moment and vision was like what's that and and wanda's like what do you mean and that where it stays in that mood it still looks like family ties but these outer the bigger plot the creepiness the weirdness the conceit of it the construction of it kind of creeps in and makes itself known i really like that real sharp contrast it was, it was great it's great yeah it's kind of it kind of like the ending credits of that episode the fake credits the credits of the sitcom version Visions in a panic while the, the fake names are running. And the contrast <laughs> right. is not only interesting, but it's it, it makes me a little uncomfortable in a good way. Uh, there's a really great article uh, on Vox by Emily Vanderwoof, a really good writer. And she says how a lot of people are upset with this because they're like, what's the real story? They're trying to figure it out. But to a large extent, you can enjoy the show, at least the early episodes, as just an episodic thing. Like, why not have an episodic show with no grand master narrative that's just like a witch uses her powers 
to process her grief via riffs on old sitcoms, right? I mean, that's no weirder than what they really seem to be doing. And on some level, you can't enjoy it that way. So I guess I'd rather that be the whole show. But, you know, it all works. And there are good performances. That woman, Tiana Paris, who plays like the main, well, Monica Rambeau, who is an established Marvel character. She, I remember her from Mad Men. She was the first recurring black character on Mad Men, or at least major black character on Mad Men. Uh, and they, she felt a little shoehorned into the show, which was nice, but kind of not well done. So it's good to see her having a part that actually matters. Uh, and I have very mixed feelings about Kat Dennings. Dennings or Demings? Dennings, Dennings. She is a perfectly fine actress, but she's like a Hollywood version of what Hollywood thinks a quirky girl is like. Like David Spade is what Hollywood thinks a funny guy is like. Yes. So I have mixed feelings about her. Like she's like, oh, the female nerd, the variation on the manic pixie dream girl. But just like she's just too, too cutesy to really seem realistic. So, uh, you know, good performances, good but not perfect. But man, is it uh, it's it's smarter than we as a people really have a right to expect yeah that's true for pop for pop entertainment for this venue for disney plus for all the things we're talking about i mean granted we're also locked in our houses and so not that these things would not that the mandalorian and stuff like that wouldn't be big right now um if it was on a traditional venue if it was a tv show um you know i assume because you got boba fett looking guy and you got baby yoda and you got freaking vision and the scarlet witch and marvel comic stuff all over this i think it would have had a big appeal Let's just say we were going, you know, we were still going to malls and, and, you know, theaters and things like that. This would still be a hit regardless. Um, But it is, it's almost to Marvel's advantage that we're all captive audiences right now. But I mean, I I love this and uh, I've been waiting for this my whole life. A show like this. And I mean, but I keep saying that every time they pull out a freaking raccoon character, you know, like, oh, I can't believe I'm seeing this guy. You know, that I read about back in, you know, in 88. Like, now there's a freaking feature film uh, built around him. That's It's kind of amazing because these this, these are exactly the things they said could not happen. For all the reasons, like you said, something like Spider-Man was turned back because they thought it was too arcane, too obscure, too juvenile. Right. And now there's a movie where a freaking raccoon is flying a spaceship with Chris Pratt sitting next to him. And, you know, and that's a gigantic hit. You know, they were, they were linchpins of those two Avengers movies. They were extremely important characters who had arcs along the way. And this is just the weird narrative world we live in, where some of the worst stuff imaginable is is huge inside a silo. And some of this stuff, which I think is really reputable, is huge inside of a silo. And we just happen to be inside the silo where, you know, I'm a comic book guy. I read, you know, I think it's it's been made manifest that Vision and the Scarlet Witch, they've been around since like 64. They were, they were introduced in the first 10 to 12 issues of the Avengers comic back in the, really the middle of the swing in 60s. And um, they had a, a, a couple of comic book limited series of their own in the 80s, which I gobbled up when I became a comic book guy. And, um, you know, like this, this, these were my soap operas. And, you know, their comic book stories were so weird, so soapy. And it's amazing how close, how, how, how there are elements of those comic book series that were clearly just meant for 12-year-old boys were remembered and are, were, were appropriated and made at the heart of this series, just elevated and turned into real compelling drama. People who understand the language of comics, and not just the not just the sequential storytelling, the sort of art of doing comic books, but the actual language and, and the spirit and the tone of what they were doing even in the 80s, not just the 60s and the 70s, but like the 80s. That stuff is amazing that they really understand it. 
And I mean, I give all the credit in the world to Jack Schaefer and Shackman, who, again, I did not know their legacies. But I mean, this this tells me that they are real students of televised entertainment, serial storytelling, that they work well inside of this stricture, that they have a real, you know, loose hand. The actors apparently really respect them. They were able to be directed and motivated to give the performances. I mean, if, if I haven't said this already, but Elizabeth Olsen, I've been a fan of hers. I want to say, what was it, 2000? She's- She's very good. She's fucking she's great. I think it was 2000. 2000- it's hard to believe she's related to the Olsen twins. Yeah, I think it was 12, 11 or 12, she made a movie, an indie movie called Marthy, Martha Marcy May Marlene. Yes. Uh, she was that young then? Yeah. Yeah, she was only like. Because I feel like that was only 10 years ago. She was like. She 20, can't be that. She was like 22 or 23 when that came out. But she was. You said she was 12. You just said she was 12. No, 2012, 2011. Oh, I thought you said she was 12. No, 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 no. She was older than that. <laughs> okay. But, but like, that was an indie movie, and she was great. And, like, who is this? I mean, she got the notoriety because she was the younger sister of the Olsons. But it's like, wow, there's this incredible acting talent from that family who we just we dismissed as kind of, like, pop culture ephemera. So she's been banging around for a while, and she, she has not had a showcase like this. She gets to do so many things, and that's... You know, when an actor does one thing in a movie or TV show, that's great. You love when they do it. But when an actor gets to show off all their kit, their toolkit, all the things they can do, and this really asks her to do so many things per each episode, to go between different modes of acting, different feelings. None of it feels contrived. It feels like, in a way, she really dug into this and wanted this kind of show place. And the fact that she gets to do it in this Marvel comic book idiom is kind of bizarre because this is the best role she's had since Martha Marcy May Marlene. Which is your personal favorite? I think aesthetically, I love the 50s. I think the Dick Van Dyke, Priscinial filming, I think aesthetically is really fun. But it's also, we like return to that kind of set when yeah. we go back. To- so, Bill, why is this popular? Why has it been such a hit? Why is everyone talking about it? I mean, you know, I don't think we need to get into so why so much. Why did it get made? Because, you know, the answers to that are either obvious or we've been over that or whatever. But but why has it caught on? Well, this is part of an already insanely popular franchise and 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 sort of an unlikely juggernaut if i may use the comic book um pun yes. noah uh that the whole marvel comics thing is wild that you know this thing has just been rolling since 2000 was it 2009 iron man came out and the fact that these movies the actors have embraced them that you know like everyone from don Cheadle to zoe saldana show up in these different movies and they really look like they're into it they want to be there this is precisely the type of shit that these actors got into like they want to do hotel rwanda but then i can see don Cheadle also wants to play war machine you know he wants to do an iron man guy and and recite these lines and he really looks like he's having fun being in a buddy comedy with uh downey that stuff is crazy man it's like i can't believe that these guys get to do that sort of work so uh i mean you know that's that's not exactly why it's incredibly popular but that's kind of why this series has rolled on or this 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 giant continuity. So the I mean the people really yeah like, no not 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 I don't mean why do the actors keep doing it I mean why no, are I know, right. viewers interested Yes yeah well I mean look it's it, the act these actors too people really do like Bettany and Olsen and they have been 
even though I think they didn't get a huge rollout inside the movies, I think people were, they love the casting. They love that these two actors were ready, that they were going to do comic book work. People have been a fan of Bettany. People are a fan of Olsen. They've made really fun movies along the way. So it's more time with, with fun faces that they wanted to see. Catherine Hahn, I was really excited because I've been a big fan of hers for like 15 years now since she started doing bit character roles a while ago. And I mean, she just has been a complete master of everything she's done. She's one of the, like, it's impossible to miscast Catherine Hahn because because she can literally do everything and when it looked like they were bringing her into Marvel Comics it's like wow great that's again that's like Don Cheadle bringing a great actor yeah. into this incredibly pop you know pop filled confection and that's exactly what we want to see um, you know oh and, and let's not forget you did mention up at the beginning <clears throat> how this was designed with that slow burn mystery box built in this is yeah. I think the first Marvel property that has been designed to almost like get people talking Friday night on Twitter um, and making YouTube videos, theories about what did this, yeah. what did the symbols mean? Who's the bad and guy? Why, why it's, why it's really smart that they've released it weekly and not in all one big dump. Yeah. And there are morons online complaining about that as you know, these idiots who never watched TV till 10 years ago. <laughs> not only is this the way TV always was, but this is the way you keep buzz. This is it how is. you get the water cooler going. Right. They would have been, fools to release this in rather than a 13 hour movie which goes away yeah. after three days people stop talking about it this way you get nine weeks of owning twitter right. every friday i mean it's if you if you look to, still to, right drawing now, out the mystery and keeping people yeah. guessing and keeping people theorizing totally if you go on totally. if you go on twitter right now we're recording this on saturday and the show came out friday morning it's like people are still talking about the finale like there's still, still a day later that's amazing i mean things have happened it's along fantastic. the way that you could say could have could have uh, you know overwhelmed it but no this is still a boy and every single episode look on if you youtube this there are a billion like one million hit theory videos easter egg and theory videos every time they drop an episode so this has been part of the ecosystem the media ecosystem where people are paying back into this and so that makes more excitement like this show has grown the audience was uh, it was a it was a medium success when episode one dropped because people didn't know what to make of it but it 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 picked up steam as it went along which is actually kind of highly unusual buzz begets buzz and people are like oh i gotta watch you look at a guy like me right like i like marvel but i'm not that into these characters so like if if this hadn't if people hadn't been saying this is awesome i wouldn't have bothered to watch it yeah i would have just skipped over it like yeah. there's a few marvel shows i can't think of what right now though i'm like yeah i'm not into those characters i don't need to see it agents so of many shield are talking about agents of, well i think i watched one episode of yeah it. so so many people are talking about it i'm like all right i gotta prioritize this right i wouldn't have done this if this had just fallen flat or if it had all been released at once the the you're right the buzz would have been gone a week later and it, it wouldn't have popped up on my radar, most likely. Yeah, so anyway, why, why do you think it's popular? Uh, so I'm going to crib a lot here from that Vox article I mentioned by Emily Vanderwolf. Please. Because I think she really gets at it. First of all, we have been marinating in Marvel for, like you said, since Iron Man. I mean, to a smaller extent, since X-Men, right? We had X-Men, then we had Spider-Man movies and all that. But the MCU proper since 08, 09, whenever Iron Man was. This is the first new Marvel thing because of the pandemic in like a year and a half maybe even longer. So, you know, people are hungry for it, right? There's that. You can make an argument that even if this had sucked or been very anodyne, um, it would have gotten undue attention because of that. Um, The other thing is it's about grief. And this is something that we are all dealing with on various levels. And this is, I thought Vanderwolf was very uh, savvy here in noting this. Wanda deals with grief by retreating into television. I mean, how many of us 
have been doing that, you know, in the 21st century, let alone the past year, where there isn't much more to do than retreat into television, right? Um, and then, of course, the weekly aspect, which was which was quite perceptive on their part. So, you know, this this hits it. And then, you know, the thing we say often whenever we talk about something on the show that we actually think is good is that quality attracts people, or at least people in our silos, if we may be so bold. So, yeah, I mean, this is very well attuned to our times. Subsuming yourself in popular culture to deal with your sadness. I mean, it's a show about that. And I think also, you know, and this says something good about our society, we'll get to this later when we talk about the apocalypse, but, you know, something that is that puzzle box kind of thing is what people are looking for. They don't want something, they don't want to just believe that it's just an episodic thing. They want some grand master narrative. It is even better than it was pitched, and it is even more complicated and fun and interesting and playful than I could have ever imagined this job being. No, I think back, and in many ways we are still children, but would you have liked WandaVision if you were still a kid? Every episode we ask this question, would you have liked this if you were a kid now, or if this had come out when you were a kid? And this episode is finally making me realize something about this question. I've always said it's kind of unanswerable, but it's truly unanswerable, to the point where I'm like, let's stop asking this. I mean, not really, but I'm starting to think that. So... When I, if you, if I knew what Stan Lee was doing in Hollywood in the eighties, I was so hungry for culture to take superheroes seriously. I was desperate for it. I was praying for it. I was begging for it. That's why I'm, I, I became a Batman fanatic because of the Batman movies that were trying to erase the Alan West show, show Alan West, Adam West show, and ooh, Batman's dark, and superheroes explore serious themes, and this isn't kid stuff, and. And we're looking at pain and psychology and, and, and superheroes are for smart people. I was so desperate for people to take that seriously. And I, I, I waved the underdog flag trying to push that idea, right? It's not a debate now. I mean, to the point where this takes it more seriously than my feeble brain can grasp, right? So they not only... Our, our culture has not only taken superheroes seriously, but they've, they've gone miles ahead of where my brain was on that topic. Right. So, so I can't answer this question. I would be such a fundamentally different human being. I probably spent half my time as a teenager thinking, how do you get people to take superheroes seriously? <laughs> Isn't that sad? That was like, if you had asked, what's my life goal? Like if I could have any dream, it would be to make like a Hollywood, a serious Hollywood movie about superheroes. Well, you know, we are so beyond that now. We almost didn't consider Dick Donner's Superman movie a comic book movie because, you know, it was almost like a one and done. It was the kind of movie that almost pe people almost um, believed that Superman was born on the screen, maybe because of the TV shows and stuff, rather than a comic book origin because it was the only one of its kind. And so nobody really thought or at least I didn't think, and none of my friends considered it a comic book movie per se. It was almost like like what you're saying. Our comic books weren't just Superman. They were things like Vision and the Scarlet Witch. It was Iron Man. It was, Ro uh, not. I was going to say not Robin. could have been things like the Huntress. It could have been things like, uh, you know, ancillary Batman characters that you didn't get to see reflected in media. And it's like we would have killed for any one of those things along the way. You know, notwithstanding, like there was this fake out when, for instance, Dolph Lundgren got to be the Punisher in a cheapy made-for-video made movie that they did in, like, 1989. That was fucking terrible. Um, you know, those things didn't count. But, 
I mean, I, again, I the, the stories that this is based on that appeared in four color sequential storytelling, the Vision of the Scarlet Witch series, West Coast Avengers from, from 1989 and 1990. I mean, I lived for these stories. I sat on my stomach in a, in a tent in like the summer of 89, uh, digesting this stuff. And this was this was my Greek myths. These were my Greek, uh, uh, you know, yeah. legends. This, this was fantastic storytelling, Jason and the Argonauts. Not that they didn't have movies, but it was an imagination, something larger uh, that I punched into for the first time. Because I wasn't a big reader as a kid. I didn't read Tolkien. I didn't read, uh, uh, you know, Frank Herbert. I didn't read Dr. Seuss, even for Christ's sake. I was a, I was a cartoon kid. You know, I'm, I was like a, the G.I. Joe and Transformers. That's where my imagination came from. So comics were like an easy switch over. So, yeah, the answer is what I liked it as a kid. I, I almost can't imagine because I still feel like, you know, it, they're making this for myself when I'm in 87, 88 in some ways. But at the same time, like you said, it's a magnification. It's an amplification beyond how I'm, I'm, I'm not really capable of thinking of these characters in the, the wide scale that they projected them from, from, you know, the comic book page that I understood and I memorized backwards and forwards to this larger, you know, thing that appeals to so many more people than just an 11-year-old boy or a 12-year-old boy laying on his stomach in, in a tent, you know? And that's what's amazing is to see, that, but it's still the same thing. It's still reverse engineers to this property that I love so much. It's got that uh, dot pitch, you know, characteristic is still there. It has not lost the inspiration. Um, so, I mean, I definitely would have liked it as a kid. And I'm amazed that so many people liked the thing that I liked as a kid because I kind of felt like it was a bunch of us Long Island nerds on those, um, you know, August uh, summer evenings reading comic books, um, wondering, you know, what's the next step? You know, like, what does this mean for me? I'm, I'm just in a world, you know, this stuff is swirling around in my head. And it's like, could it ever get any better than reading Vision and Scarlet Witch comic books? Can it get better than reading West Coast Avengers? Yeah, but you could argue it isn't better. I mean, I hate to defend the, the, the lunatics online, but like, I think part of the backlash for them is they they felt like this was their world, and now they see it being co-opted. Yeah, I, know. I mean, I know. I get the it. fuck over yourself. But you know, you thought you were just the kids in Long Island. There were millions of us. We just weren't connected because the internet didn't exist, right? I, I mean, it's. I think the this is one of so many examples of how you cannot cannot overestimate the internet's effect on human society. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely incalculable. And then I think I also walked, happened to walk into a chapter when I was in my 40s where, where more roles um, and more creators were interested in digging into the nooks and crannies of what it is to be um, and more interested in, in a woman's experience um, po post 40. So Bill, is the existence and or success of WandaVision in any way a sign of the apocalypse? I mean, I guess it might be if it, if Wanda Maximoff were real and she were actually doing this in the real world. <laughs> yes, exactly. She's making red. Uh, she was shooting red grape jelly out of her hands and turning it to bombs yeah. or whatever. But yeah. red jelly. It kind of that's what it looks like. Joker in that episode of Batman. It does. It yeah. looks like she's shooting red jam out of her hands. She's she's she's, she's turning the Westview uh, Reservoir into strawberry jello. <laughs> Westview Reservoir. But uh, I, you know, I mean, this is what I'm really ambivalent about. Is I mean, I love this thing so much. I mean, I would. You know, look, I, I get to see this a little earlier because of the time, for, you know, I'm six hours ahead of the East Coast and certainly Los Angeles. And so I'd get to see this before a lot of my friends did. And 
certainly before people start spoiling things on Twitter early on, if you happen to catch the errant uh, trending hashtag and stuff like that. But I mean, I loved looking forward to this so much and I've been so into this, but I also have this other feeling. I think this is, this is in the service of the worst company in the universe. I mean, granted, maybe they're not heavy, you know, they're not, (laughs) they are not even close to the worst. But you know what I mean? It's like Disney is an amoral soul crushing company that is guilty. Yeah. And you're like the biggest Disney fan I know. I'm, I'm a fan of Disney properties and Disney cultures, but, the company is terrible i mean did you see this thing by the way where um disney is fucking all the creators of the shows that they show on the app and on disney plus because they've reclassified it as videos and not television they've reclassified all their old sitcoms (laughs) and stuff so they don't have to pay them a cut of the digital streaming i know it's it's so immoral it's it's are you serious dead serious dead serious yeah the sign of the apocalypse is that this is in the service of a terrible company but i mean i realize what i'm doing is i'm just opening my wallet for their little mickey mouse vacuum nose to point in there and continue to suck dollars out of it like as much as i can't stand their business practices i'm like becoming evangelist we're doing pr for them right now you know, it's like we're helping the show when we're, we're doing our own thing in terms of being, you know, people talking about pop culture. But it helps this fucking company, this terrible company, which is just, you know, soul crushing. I know a guy who's an entertainment lawyer and he said a client of his was uh, had a song that was like being considered to be on Hannah Montana. Um, so this is years ago. And to they wanted the guy to play it for the producers or whatever. And just to play it for the producers, he had to sign away the rights. So even if they decided not to use it, they had the rights. They owned it anyway. And I don't know if he got some fee regardless, and obviously it would have been more if they took it, but like that's the way it worked. Just to hear it, they had to buy the rights. But this is what happened when you're powerful. I don't deny anything you're saying, but that said, I think there are far worse companies than Disney. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, Halliburton, Dutch, Dutch Rail Shell. Yeah, there are worse companies, no doubt, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, what about your your vision of the apocalypse? No, this might be the opposite because we're drowning in stupidity in this country. And every time I see something wildly popular that is too smart for me to keep up with, I feel uh, I feel better that I feel like the only thing that will save us is also not just stupid, but also that we're we're distracted. The bread and circuses kind of thing. Right. Although we don't really get that much bread anymore. Um, But (laughs) it's true. (laughs) Or too many of us don't. Um, so yeah, the, if, if the distracting bullshit entertainment can actually make us critical thinkers and not make us wallow in, in, you know, being morons, uh, I think that might be one of our ways out, right? Is to encourage us to use our brains. So as much as this makes me feel dumb, you know, we, we need people to be smarter than me to solve these problems. So, so I encourage wildly popular entertainments to be too smart for me to handle because, you know, stupidity is murdering us, quite literally. Now, let's bring this thing to a close. Tell me about jealousy. Does WandaVision, or as I've been calling it at home, the Wanda show, does it inspire you you with jealousy at all? Yeah, of course it does. I mean, you know, again, when I was a kid, I wanted to be, oh, we should have, I'm the only one who believes in serious superheroes. I'm going to change the world, make people take superheroes seriously. And I'm going to win an Oscar for playing Robin in a Batman movie. I briefly had that fantasy, by the way. Um, So, you know, here it is, all this shit's happening. It had nothing to do with me. I'm not writing the show. I'm not starring in the show. I'm not producing the show. Uh, I'm not even smart enough to understand this show. So, of course, I'm jealous. I, I, it's possible there's no topic we've looked at that I've been more jealous of. 
So yes, the answer is yes. The answer Bill. is yes. yes the answer yes, is always yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Well, this hits me at exactly the right time. Maybe as an adult, maybe as a viewer, maybe as someone who's locked in the house. Maybe the fact that this is the you know the lead, this is the what are they, the tip of the spear for for comic book culture in terms of the stuff that's on the screen. So I mean, I'm I'm loving it. I'm eating it up. Like I said, I'm, I'm I'm bashing myself a little bit because there's I, we shouldn't be helping Disney, but whatever that 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 train has sailed, as I like to say. Uh, you know, I also realize that I, with something like this, I do go back to being 12 years old, and I'm 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 really not critical about my reaction to this show, and it makes me wonder how many other things that I I mean, because one of the things I do know, I write a lot of movie reviews, I write about film a lot, I talk about film on podcasts, so I feel like I've been honing a critical faculty for like a decade or so doing these things in a semi-public venue. And yet there are still some things I can have a very non-critical reaction to, where I kind of get, just get swept over in, in, in like a, a teenage endorphins or something, where it's just like, I like this thing and I like everything about it. And I don't have anything bad to say about it. And you know, also, I don't have a very complex reaction to it, you know, in spite of whatever I might have said here so far. Um, you know, I think that it, it swept over me with a wave of happiness every time I got to sit down for the 35 minutes or 32 minutes. It's at the, by the way, the run of the show, the half hour form is fucking brilliant. That is so. Yeah. Such, although there's 10 minutes of credits. Well, just skip past them unless you, there's a couple of credits. I know. Credit it's scenes, just weird. It does. It makes yeah, you feel like. Oh, that's the thing is I got, I think I missed a couple post credit scenes. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you didn't, sit the credits. ultimately you didn't miss anything. Yeah, didn't Those miss are throws to the next week. It wasn't yeah, like you lost anything. Um, yeah, so I mean, no, I'm not jealous at all. Um, in, in, like, in a way, I almost feel this incredible sense of being catered to, just because, in particular, when when my friend Brian back on Long Island gave me those those well uh, well thumbed, like almost like yellowed pages of Vision of the Scarlet Witch, those very loved issues, and I read them all myself. I just felt like, oh, this is you know, this is information that people give from person to person, and it's like a love, not from each other but it's like a love of the material that you're, you're passing on and it's like continuing that affinity for comic book fiction that i've just been you know the moment i read a comic book i was like oh this this is for me i'm stuck in this i'm never going to be able to give this up i don't care how old i am i'm going to be into comic book fiction at some you know it's fantastic and it's exactly what i need it just speaks to my genetic code and i, I can't but, get around but it. one of the things our society and our culture has proved in the last few decades is you know, you say no matter how old, it is no longer... I mean, do little kids read mainstream DC and Marvel comics anymore? No, not anymore. I mean, no. I, I, I kind of wonder if the percentage of 12-year-old boys who read those comics is the same. As much as everyone knows superheroes now and, and the Vision and Scarlet Witch are mainstream pop cultural characters... It's still the outcast nerds who actually read comics. Comic, yeah, that. comic book. Well, they're. The, I think comic books are like, like almost like that newspaper I used to work for, the Racing Forum. People would say, "What? What is that?" Or they would say, "I heard of that thing once. They still make that thing." You know, yeah, it's, they still make. It's that, archaic. Yeah. It's an it's an archaic form I, of storytelling, even though it's great. You know. Finally, Noah, tell me about the fallopian scale. Jimmy Fallop, uh, the XYZ axis of everything good, bad, ugly, and sideways in between. Where does Vision and the Scarlet Witch? TV show, Wanda, where's the Wanda show? Mm-hmm. Uh, where does it show up on that scale? How sad that we call it the Vision and Scarlet Witch TV show when it's clearly the Scarlet Witch and Vision TV show. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It is not Vision Wanda, it's Wanda Vision. And of course, she is more of a significant character in this in every way. She gets more screen time, she's more a plot mover. It's, it's her arc. I mean, it's her arc, yeah. Yeah, but we still go with the sexist, the freaking robot goes before the woman, right? Okay, fallopian scale. If I'm if I'm naturally comparing this to other like comic booky stuff we look at, uh, 
year and a half ago or whatever, we looked at the Joker movie, right? Yeah. Which I thought was pretty good. Not awesome. It's re- good. it's receded in, in time to me. Right. But, you know. And then we early on we talked about Zack Snyder and his superhero oh, movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we didn't like that. So here's what I'm going to say. It's better than Joker. So it's Joker plus the inverse of Zack Snyder, right? Yeah, so okay, if you take yes. Joker... And you flip Zack Snyder, everything bad about it, you flip over to good. You know, the stupidity, the missing the point, the dumbness, all that. Flip the, like the, the, the photo negative of Zack Snyder. You add that, you give that as a bonus to Joker, and that's the level you're at with Vision and Scarlet Witch. So it's quite good. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'd put this at the very yeah. top of the stack, certainly for the TV shows. Wow. Oh, uh, no problem at all. Like I said, I'm, I'm, in addition to it's a very good show, but I'm also hardly critical about it. So, yeah, this, this, I look, I. I'm not saying it's better than like Key and Peele or Black Mirror, but I've liked it more for sure. There's there's just a natural affinity I have because there's so much to already attach myself to that it's like coming home. And again, the, the great quality, yeah, I, you know, the, the the not just the story of the characters, but I like the creative arc. The fact that there were these two people getting a shot, uh, uh, Schaefer and Shackman hopefully will go on to do a lot of good TV. Catherine Hahn is going to get a giant booth boost from this. Uh, Olsen and Bettany are going to be buoyed. It's like, I like seeing good professionals do good work. Oh, uh, that guy, uh, freaking Randall uh, Randall Park is incredible, man. He's great as Jimmy Woo. He's one of my favorite characters. What, what else has he been in? I recognize him from something. Yeah, um, he was on Veep. He played, uh, he was in the first two seasons of Veep. Um, he's been okay. in a shitload of things. He's he's just sort of this jack of all trades. He can give you whatever he is. I don't know what I've seen him in, but he's very good. He's very good. He's very good. Anyway, so like I said, that, that makes me happy too, is following people's careers. And I like the boost those things are going to get. It's This is like, you know, listening to a bunch of artists that like jam, play jazz or something like that. And, it, you know, it looks like it's honest to their skill sets. So, yeah, for that reason, I would definitely put it at the uh, at the heap, the top of that heap, in fact. Good for you. I'm glad you're I'm glad to get some relief from the um, Bill Scurry cynicism briefly. Yes, briefly. We'll get back to it next week as we uh, discuss the Snyder <laughs> Cut, Noah. Yeah. Oh, God. No, we're not doing that. Um, Okay. All right. Guys, if you want to see or listen to past episodes of this type, uh, we are available everywhere you find podcasts. And you you know where those sites are. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play. Stitcher, tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us, Noah and Bill don't get at gmail.com. Give us a review on Apple, Apple Podcasts because that's how people find podcasts. I'm on Twitter personally, at William Scurry. I say a lot of funny things. I post pictures. I do wacky make-em-ups. I'm very charming. I think you guys know that by now. My video content is on YouTube, youtube.com slash amcaesar. Noah Tarno, tell us about yourself. Uh, all about the big quiz thing, bigquizthing.com, the finest in corporate and private trivia events nationwide, virtual now, in person again soon. And, and, we just announced uh, Sunday, March 21st, we're doing a rare open-to-the-public game. Uh, Women's History Month quiz, not hosted by me, of course, hosted by our fine female persuasion quiz master, Jennifer Connor. Uh, and it's a fundraiser to support Planned Parenthood of Greater New York. So check us out at bigquizling.com. Uh, it'll be up there soon. It's up on our Facebook page right now. Um, yeah, and uh, learn all about uh, how you can get us for your own customized virtual trivia spectacular. Well, guys, until the next episode of this program, we we don't don't get get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2021.